Welcome to We Have This Hope. My name is Emily Curzon. This is a podcast about the study of scripture, the art of remembering, and the practice of telling. On the show, we'll explore the ways God calls his people to remember by studying scripture together, and we'll hear individual stories of hope anchored in the beautiful and ancient practice of remembering. I'm so glad you're here. Welcome back. Last week's episode got the most listens of any episode thus far, which I'll just say right now, I don't have that many episodes, but I'm just not surprised because it was my remembering interview with Amy Ann Arnold of Straight A Style. She did an awesome job of just remembering, reflecting, and telling the story of launching her fashion blog, her fashion business, um, her influencer platform. And it's really, really beautiful. One of the main takeaways for me was just her reflecting on how God has done more with that than she could have ever known to ask for. So I hope if you haven't listened to that, you'll stop what you're doing now and you'll go back and you'll listen to that episode and then rejoin me here on little episode nine um, when you can catch up. But today we're actually going to be changing pace a little bit with our study of the book of Proverbs. So up until this point, we've been going chapter by chapter, but today we're going to start examining bigger picture themes throughout the middle section of the book. The reason for that is because if you're looking at your Bible like I am now, you can see that the first nine chapters, chapters one through nine, are typically kind of like this long form of poetry. These are um, these are kind of seen as instructions, and as we've studied along, we've even seen they're more of a dialogue between a father and son. But if you're looking at the page of your Bible right now, you might have, like I do, some kind of a delineation starting with chapter 10, like a marking or a shift. And even if you're looking at the text and you're channeling your, like, I don't know, 10th or 11th grade English class, you can see that the structure of the poetry changes and it gets shorter. So chapters 10 through 22 are 20, 22-ish are going to be characterized a little bit differently. They're, they're brief, they're character, characterized by their brevity, and they're sort of, I read in a commentary, they take on a tell-it-like-it-is format. So they're direct. There doesn't necessarily seem to be any order in particular to how these verses stack up. Sometimes a couple of verses will be sort of um, lumped together talking about the same thing, but other times it seems a little random. But what I want to remind us of as we jump into this section is what the what the word proverb actually means. In the first episode of this podcast, we were unpacking a couple of Greek or excuse me, a couple of Hebrew terms the, one of them was the word for wisdom, which is hokmah, but we also talked about the Hebrew word for proverb, which is mashal. And the word mashal, just in a really simple way, means comparison or analogy. What it means is that Hebrew proverbs or Hebrew poetry is generally short, concise, and conveying some kind of moral truth. And it will do things like compare one thing to another in order to that it, so that we can learn something from the similarities or differences of those things. And we've seen a little bit of that already when we've compared things like the straight path to the crooked path, 
um, or lady wisdom to the adulteress or light to dark. We see that in general, mashal or these proverbs are comparisons and we're supposed to learn something from the comparisons. So the theme that we're going to look at today is everybody's favorite thing to talk about, especially mine. We're going to talk about wealth or money. Um, Now, I want to say first off that I feel a little intimidated to talk about this. And the reason is just because I don't really consider myself an expert on, on any of that. But as I was wrestling with that, as I was kind of thinking through, "Ah, I don't know, like I'm just feeling vulnerable about talking about it. I... I was reminded that that's not the point of this podcast or what I'm trying to do. So my hope is that I'm modeling ways to wrestle with what does scripture say about bigger topics? What does scripture have to say to me? And here's some ways that I do that. So I hope that as you're listening, you'll hear everything that I'm saying from a posture of learning, of just kind of asking the questions that I use in every study of scripture. What does it say? What does the Bible say about wealth? What does Proverbs have to say? Why does that still matter to me today? So that's what we're going to humbly try to do together. To make it a little bit sweeter, I have asked my daughter, Ella, she's eight, if she would read the scripture for us this week. Ella is such a good reader and she's such a good speaker already. It's really, it's really beautiful. So what you're about to hear is Ella reading some specific verses sprinkled throughout chapters 10 through 22. They are going to go in order, but she's not going to pause and tell you where that verse specifically is. I'm going to put all of that in the show notes because what I want you to do is just sit back and enjoy her sweet voice and listen to what the scripture is saying. Ill-gotten treasures have no lasting value, but righteousness delivers from death. Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. Wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. Honest scales and balances belong to the Lord. All the weights in the bag are of his making. An inheritance claimed too soon will not be blessed at the end. Rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is maker of them all. Humility and the fear of the Lord bring wealth and honor and life. Wasn't that lovely? One of the ways that I found or sort of like combined all of those verses is this really practical thing that I learned from doing a precept study a long, long time ago through um, Kay Arthur. Some of you may know who that is, or your mom might know who that is. Um, But what I did is I took a colored pencil and I went through, and any time there was a reference to money or wealth, anything in that genre, I marked it with a green colored pencil. 
And that's such a simple thing that you can do. I've also done that with a red colored pencil preparing for our study and our talk about words and the mouth and the tongue. And so anytime you want to pull out like a biblical theme or you see something repeating itself often, that's such an easy way to answer the question, what does it say? That's an easy way for you to sort of glance and say, okay, the scripture keeps talking about this. That must be important. What does it say? So what does it say? That's the question that we want to unpack now. I think it says that wealth in and of itself is not a bad thing. If you remember in the story of Solomon, he's actually given wealth by God. And this wealth enables him to have great influence. And it pairs quite nicely with his wisdom. Maybe one way of thinking about it is that his wealth facilitates his wisdom gaining a larger audience and having great influence. So if you recall, when Solomon received this gift from God, it was immediately followed by a call to walk in his ways and follow his commands. So God's given him this wisdom, and then he's given him wealth, and he said, but I want you to walk in my ways as you approach these things. So I think Proverbs is presenting some of the ways that we can approach wealth, both wise and unwise ways to approach wealth. And you heard Ella read a lot of that. Here's what I think we heard. Wealth is given by God. It says all the weights are in the bag are his. And this is contrasted with this idea of acquiring money deceptively or dishonestly. These two truths, one is wealth is given by God, one is I've got to go out and get the wealth for myself and I'll do anything necessary to do it. The other ways that we approach wealth are through generosity and it talks about the generous man prospers that from my wealth or I ha- my wealth is given to me in order to extend generosity And this is held up against this idea of acquiring money at the expense of the oppressed. And we see both of these things talked about in Proverbs. The other one that I I think is kind of interesting and honestly a little cliche is the idea that an inheritance gained too quickly. That's what the proverb says. And to, to be wary of an inheritance gained too quickly. And this is held up against this idea of the, the fruit of slow diligence, wealth being the fruit of slowly um, growing your money and working hard. And isn't that so cliche, especially for those of us in like postmodern America, Western America, where we have, we've seen too many times these movies and stories of real life people who gain a lot of money really quickly and then don't know how to wisely manage it versus those who've slowly grown it over time. And then the final, I think, most important theme that we're seeing in Proverbs as far as how we can approach wealth is, is my wealth a tool for the flourishing of others in the kingdom versus is my wealth to make me feel important? Does my wealth help me secure my future? And these are two both wise and unwise ways that we approach wealth given to us by God. But I think the most important thing for us to take away from looking at these Proverbs is that God is the source of wealth, and he uses it as a blessing, and this blessing comes with boundaries, commands, or advice for how our wealth can be used for the flourishing of others and the flourishing of God's kingdom. If you read through 1 Kings 
chapter 10, like we're going to do in just a minute, at first passing, it doesn't necessarily seem like anything unwise is going down. You're like, okay, yeah, I get it. He was super rich and he had a bunch of stuff. But I want to back way, way up in your Bible and direct you to look up, please do this on your own, Deuteronomy 17. Okay, so I'm not going to read you a bunch of Deuteronomy, don't worry. But if you'll turn to chapter 17, and we're going to look at just two verses. These are instructions from the law. So the people of God are are receiving the law from God, and God's giving instructions specifically for future kings, okay? So this is Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 16 and 17. And it says, The king must not acquire great number of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them. For the Lord has told you, you are not to go back that way again. Verse 17, He must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. He must not acquire large amounts of silver and gold. Okay, that's it. Deuteronomy is over. But you just heard it. The instructions for the king were three very specific things. Don't get a bunch of horses. Don't go back to Egypt. Don't have a bunch of wives. And don't accumulate a lot of gold. So with that, I want to jump back to 1 Kings chapter 10. If you're following along, I'm going to read to you a couple of verses starting in verse 18. So this is Solomon talking about Solomon's splendor. Okay, it's about to get Bibno. Do you remember Bibno? That's an acronym for basic but not obvious. Hang with me. Then the king made a great throne inlaid with ivory and overlaid with fine gold. The throne had six steps and its back had a rounded top. On both sides of the seat were armrests with a lion standing beside each of them. Twelve lions stood on the six steps. Nothing like it had ever been made for any kingdom. All of Solomon's goblets were gold, and all the household articles in the palace of the forest of Lebanon were pure gold. Nothing was made of silver, because silver was considered of little value in Solomon's day. Jumping down to verse 26, Solomon accumulated chariots and horses. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horses, which he kept in the chariot cities and also with him in Jerusalem. The king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones, and cedar as plentiful as sycamore fig trees in the foothills. Solomon's horses were imported from, you guessed it, Egypt, and from Kew, the royal merchants purchased purchased them from Kew. They imported a chariot from Egypt for 600 shekels of silver and a horse for 150. Okay, is it obvious yet what I'm going to say? I hope it is. I hope what you see when you're reading through 1 Kings 10 here is that Solomon, in the most basic way, was beginning to violate all the instructions, all the laws that God had set in place for the Israelite king, future kings, right? It says, don't have any horses. And we just heard, how many horses did he have? Let me see real quick. It says 12,000, at least. Yeah, at least in this section. And it says, don't go back to Egypt. That's what the other instruction, don't go back to Egypt. And it says right here, where did the horses come from? It came from Egypt. He sent royal merchants to purchase them. So he's sending people back to Egypt. 
And I hope you heard it talk about how much gold Solomon had acquired for himself. In fact, it talked about, I hope you caught this a little bit, that silver was of basically no value. It was like rocks because there was so much gold, silver didn't even matter. So what we see here is Solomon's kind of splendor after the temple construction is starting to deteriorate because what we see is that he's starting to violate the boundaries and the laws that God had put in place around his wealth and around his rule. And what we're going to see is that eventually this is going to lead to idol worship, that God's going to tear the kingdom from Solomon and eventually it's going to split in two. Okay, we've talked about what Proverbs says. We've explored some context with Solomon's story. And now I want to chat for a minute about the final question, why all of this still matters? Why does this still matter? In other words, how does this all apply to me? Well, the beauty of Proverbs for me is that it's just so practical. It, it's so easy. It's, it's really not that difficult for us to wrap our heads around what it's trying to say to us about wealth. But I do think that sometimes we move so quickly that we miss it or, or we don't say it out loud so that it sort of like gets ingrained in the neuropathways of our brain. So we're going to do that today. I want to first start by making this small point. If you're listening to this podcast, you're probably wealthy <laughs> in terms of a global standard. And um, our pastor was just talking a little bit about this last Sunday, but the, the chances are you're listening to this on your phone, in your car, on a walk, in your safe neighborhood, wearing your AirPods. If that's you, if you identify with any of this, you are wealthy. And so Proverbs has a lot to say to us, but also Jesus. I'm sure some of you are thinking as I'm talking about all of this, well, what about what Jesus had to say about wealth? Well, he had some things to say. And in Matthew 19, he's talking to his disciples right after the rich young ruler has walked away. And he says to them, he's basically debriefing, which I love the idea of like Jesus, the scene, this famous scene has just happened. And now Jesus is debriefing with his friends. And he says, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom, which is a little deflating, right? It's a little deflating. And his disciples ask him this beautiful question. My translation says they're astonished and they ask, well, who then can be saved? And when I read that, I, it just so deeply resonates with me. I, I'm putting it a little bit on myself. So, and that is that as a wealthy person living among a bunch of wealthy people, it's a good question to ask. Okay, well then who can be saved? And, and I think that Jesus was making a point here. He actually goes on to say, his response is, well, yeah, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So I don't think Jesus is saying rich people can't enter the kingdom. I think he's saying that wealth can be a huge stumbling block for living in the kingdom way. I'm going to go as far to say that I think he's saying it might actually be easier to trust God if we just didn't have so much or if what we have didn't own us quite so much. Does any of this resonate with you? <laughs> it certainly does with me. Honestly, it's convicting. <laughs> I think if we want to approach our wealth wisely, then let's lean into the simplicity of Proverbs, which tells us what it means for us to counterculturally approach money. It's really simple. Here's what we're going to do. 
if this is, if you want to, if you want to approach your wealth wisely, here's what we're going to do. We're not going to chase it. We're going to give it away. And we're going to remind each other that it was never ours in the first place and that our future is secure. I'll leave you with a few questions to ponder because like I said, it's a convicting topic and I think the only way to not feel totally deflated is to just gently talk about it and create space to think and pray and let God's kind voice speak to us wherever we are on this topic. So here are the questions. Am I acquiring wealth to secure my future or to be in control? Do I cheerfully give my wealth away or does it feel like an obligation? Am I afraid of what will happen if I'm not wealthy? Hard questions. Sorry, guys. <laughs> As you think and pray about these this week, remember God's kind voice and be kind to yourself. I hope you'll find some ways to be generous. This is the season to do it. It's so easy. There's just like so many opportunities to do that. Don't discount the small ways you can be generous. Okay, that's all. We did it. We talked about many, just a little bit. I hope you'll dig in on your own. Grab your colored pencils, go to Proverbs 10 and just start seeing what you can learn. There's a lot of verses that I didn't cover that I didn't include. So thanks for tuning in this week. I hope you will be on the lookout for the next Remembering interview. It's already been recorded. I'm just waiting for my chief technology officer to help me edit it, and then we'll get it out to you hopefully before Christmas. Y'all, it's a really good one, and it's so good. I'm not going to give you any spoilers. I'm just going to leave you hanging. Okay, with that, I hope you have a great week. (music) 